Open your Bibles to the 14th chapter of the Gospel of John, John 14. We are coming back for the second part of a message we began last week with every intention initially of completing it in one week, although now recognizing that to be a fool's errand. And uh, one, one wag sent me a uh, text message and said, uh, one, you only got through four of 12, ha, 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 three parts. <laughs> and uh, uh, the answer is no. So we're going to... By the grace of God, we will, we will get through this because I don't want to get bogged down in this series of living as a minority community in a hostile world. It's something that we need to keep moving with. Uh, the world is moving, and we need to keep moving too. And, uh, you know, just a recognition of the, of the reality of our minority status brings with it a, a recognition that we are essentially powerless, We are not powerful people. We are not the opinion makers. We are not the movers and shakers. We are not people of great wealth, people of great influence, people of great authority. We are nobodies. We are nobodies. And we take our place in a long line of nobodies for the last Many thousands of years, certainly uh, 2,000 back to Christ. But before that, the people of God, the graces of the pages of the Old Testament, are nobodies. With rare exception, the only place their names ever appear are in the pages of sacred scripture. But their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, then your name is also written in the Lamb's book of life. If he is your Savior, if you have come by the grace of God to place your full faith and trust in the finished work of Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his conquering of sin and death on your behalf, then you are the child, a child of God. You share the status of the preeminent one, Christ Jesus himself. You are the sons of God. And though thus in this world you are a nobody, I am a nobody. We are children of the king. But beloved, we live in the here and the now. That which is true is not yet seen, except with eyes of faith. And so we're living as a minority community, a minority community in a world that is growing increasingly hostile to our Savior and to us. So we are dependent upon the power of God accessed through prayer. The power of God accessed through prayer. Thus, prayer is our power. It is our power. On the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus, in the upper room, said to his disciples in John 14, the beginning in verse 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Last week we said that this message on the power of prayer was 
not a message on prayer in its totality in the pages of Scripture. That would be in and of itself a very long series. But instead, we were just going to focus, and we were going to focus on two things. We were going to focus on Jesus' prayer promise here in John 14, and then we were going to, from that, move into what we were calling prayer priorities. Prayer priorities, things that that ought to characterize our prayer and then the avenue by which the power of God is released in both us and this local fellowship. So Jesus here makes this incredible prayer promise. And what he says is that if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. That is, if you ask anything that honors me in my person as Messiah and furthers my mission of bringing glory to my Father, then I will answer your prayer. I will answer your prayer. That is Jesus' promise here. Whatever you ask, verse 13, in my name, that will I do. Why? So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. It is about bringing glory to God the Father. That is the key. That is the secret that opens to us the power of prayer. We are assured of Jesus' favorable answer when we tap into this truth, when we align our prayers with Jesus' mission to build his church, to call out to himself a redeemed people, to demonstrate to all the cosmos that the power of God is unveiled in the turning of his enemies into his children and to conform them to the image of his Son. All to the praise of his glory, as the Apostle Paul records in Ephesians chapter 1 three times, verses 6, 12, and 14. So Jesus' prayer promise And we began to look at the priorities last week as well. And we said there were 12 of them, 12 of those prayer priorities. And they were simply this. First, it was, it began with personal confession and forgiveness. One of the priorities of prayer is our own personal confession and forgiveness. It is the willingness to to look things straight in the eye. The willingness to allow the Spirit of God to use the Word of God to search our hearts, to be the spotlight, the mirror that shines on our own souls and shows us where we fall short of our highest ideals, where we fall short of that which God has set for us. If we will confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. And so it begins with personal confession. And with that goes the, the corresponding virtue, if I can say it that way, of forgiveness. That is, the, the willingness to forgive one another. To be the people of God, to demonstrate the character of God. To forgive as you have been forgiven. Secondly, second prayer priority we said is for the unity of the church. We are to pray for the unity of the church and not the unity of the church in some grand mystical sense, this, this a body of Christ, this universal body of Christ, but in the very local, narrow confines of a, of a local body, this body, 
It is the unity of this body that lies very near and dear to the heart of God. And Jesus prayed in John 17 for the unity of his people. And that is a spiritual reality because we are one in Christ as the Spirit of God inhabits our hearts, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and puts us, baptizes us into the one body of Christ. And here we are that visible representation. And so it is very much to the heart of God. It is very much to do with the glorifying of the, of the Father. It is very much with the fulfillment of Jesus' own mission in the calling out of a church that this church would live experientially as we are theologically one together in Christ. Later in this hour, we will take of the Lord's table together that visible symbol that has been left by Jesus, thereby demonstrating our oneness in the Spirit. Third, personal confession and forgiveness, unity of the church. Third, that we would pray, have a prayer priority for a greater love for the body of Christ. It kind of goes along with this. That, that, that the Spirit would kindle within me, would kindle within you a greater love for this church. That this church would not be optional to us. That it would not be just one church among many churches. That it would not be like visiting a restaurant and, and scanning the menu at Spaghetti Factory and saying, well, maybe I'll have this and maybe I'll have that. But, but that we would come to see and know and love this church. For God shed the blood of his own son to create this church, to bring us together, not a building but a people, a people, a desire. God would kindle a desire to be with each other and a passion to see each other grow in the likeness of Jesus Christ. Fourth, prayer priority would be the glory of Christ displayed in the transformed lives of his people. That we would pray that God would transform us, that he would transform us, that he would change us. Each and every one of us. We all have our struggles. We all have our weak points. We all have the, the sin that so easily ensnares us. We all are so far from Christ. So far. We don't look like Him. Not like we should. Not like we will. Not like we desire. And so we pray and we, we beg and we ask God, to, to transform not just us, but, but each other. And that presupposes, as we said last time, that we're in community together, we're in relationship with one another, that we're close enough to one another where we can see and speak and know and pray intelligently. We said the small groups are just one way, but a good way to come into a relationship with, with a group of people in which we can be locked together. And this important work, praying for the glory of God to shine forth. John 13, 34, 35, Jesus says, listen, the world will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. As they observe you, as they look at you and they say, you are different. How can it be? That you love and care for one another so much. How can it be that you're more concerned for the glory of Christ than your own personal preference? How can it be that you so willingly humble and serve one another? It can only be the power of God. 
that can transform us in that way. Fifth. Fifth. Prayer priority is for personal and corporate purity. Personal and corporate purity. And I ask you and direct you to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. There is so much to learn from Paul's two short letters to this, this church, this really young church formed there in Thessalonica over which Paul was with them only for a short period of time, and and they were born and birthed in persecution and out of persecution, and yet they were such a model. But they were not perfect. They were not a perfect church. They were not a perfect people. God had not finished his work in them. He had begun it in a glorious way, but he was still at work in them. And purity is one of the places where Christ is the continuing work in those believers and and an issue that Paul addresses in this letter more than once. But here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23, we can can catch his heartbeat for them as he prays for them. Verse 23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete." Without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you and he also will bring it to pass. May the God of peace, Paul prays, himself set you apart entirely. Body, soul, and spirit. That is the totality of your being. May he set you apart as a people unto himself. May he work in you so that you imitate him. He was writing to Gentiles, former pagans, those whose lives were characterized by attachments to a religious system that included gross and rampant immorality. Something with which we can identify, can we not? We live in a world in which we are saturated with sexual images. That which once resided behind the counter of the drugstore in paper wrapping now is beamed to everyone's cell phone at a moment. We live in a world in which, in which the... the degrading of the male and female sexual relationship is used to sell everything from soap to cars to you name it. And beloved, like frogs in pot in a pot where the water is slowly raised, we, we are, we are, we are inundated with it and become hardened to it. God is very serious about his people living a life separate from understanding that human sexuality is his design and his good gift to man. But it needs to be within the boundaries which he has lawfully provided. And beloved, we need to pray. We need to pray for our own hearts that we would understand these things and value things as God values them. And we need to pray for one another. We need to pray for one another. There are men and women in this congregation who are traveling 
traveling away from home, away from their spouses. In a world now in which we live, in which men and women appear to be working together in closer and closer proximity. And with it comes temptation. And with it comes uh, the opportunity to grow discontented in our own environments, in our own homes. Beloved, we need to think about that. We need to pray for those who are traveling, who are away from home, who are staying in hotels with television sets that will beam into their rooms and and into the privacy of their rooms where no one will see but God sees. Their hearts and their minds would be pure. We need to pray. We need to pray for the single men and women that are part of this congregation who live with incredible temptation, who have yet to be provided the opportunity, the lawful opportunity that God provides to to fulfill the natural sexual passion through marriage. They must wait. They must trust. They must believe that God knows best and that God has their best in mind. And that requires constant reminder of the gospel. And so we need to pray for them. We need to pray for them. We need to lift them before the throne of grace. One of our prayer priorities that honors Christ is to pray for the personal and corporate purity of this church. Sixth, we need to pray for perseverance for the suffering. Perseverance for those who are suffering. The word perseverance, the Greek word hupomone, is made up of two words. The preposition hupo, which means under, and mone, which means to stay or to dwell or to abide. And what it, what it essentially means is, is to persevere, is to, is to stay put. It is to stay under. It is to endure. It is to be steadfast. When it's very very difficult. We persevere, beloved, in circumstances. We have patience with people. If you're trying to get a handle on the difference between perseverance and patience, you're patient with people. We persevere in circumstances. We remain under the circumstances and we trust in God through the circumstances. And Christ is honored and God is glorified when his people persevere. I think about shut-ins. I think about shut-ins. God designs his people to be together regularly, frequently. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, right? As is the habit of son, but, but all the more as you see the day drawn near, we need one another. We need to sing to one another. We sing to God, yes, but we, we sing just as importantly to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, reminding each other of the gospel. And it's essential week in and week out that we receive that reminder. And then we have those who are shut in. Those who, because of affliction of body or mind, are not able to be here on a regular basis with the believers. They're not able to be here to to hear the singing. 
They're not able to be here to, to hear and receive the teaching live. They uh, Praise God for technology that allows through electronic means that a portion of this to be captured. But it is still not the same as being here. And they can grow discouraged. They can grow discouraged. They can be, they can be knocked off the path. All kinds of crazy and false teaching can flow into their homes through a television set. And so we need to pray for them that they persevere under this, that they hold up under it, that they remain faithful under it until God calls them home. We need to pray for those who are suffering chronic pain. Chronic pain. Beloved, God has made us body and soul. Body and soul. And how the body feels affects the soul. And how the soul is doing affects the body. They are not separate watertight compartments. But we has, he has made us a totality. And so when you are in chronic pain, if you are presently suffering chronic pain, or if you have suffered chronic pain, then you can identify with what I'm saying. It is hard to pray when you're in great pain. It is hard to persevere in the gospel. It is hard to even want to read your Bible when you are in great pain. And as that pain goes on day after day, week after week, month after month, it grinds us. And discourages us or can. Oh, we think about the Apostle Paul. Oh, momentary light affliction bringing forth an eternal weight of glory. Listen, that's true. And next week I'm going to address that passage. But don't think that somehow, you know, take 2 Romans 8.28 and call me in the morning and it's all good. Because it's not. It's hard. It's hard. For some, it's even hard to be here. It's hard to sit and to listen, to pay attention when your back hurts all the time or or your leg or or your head or whatever it is. Insides hurt. We need to pray for our brothers and sisters who are suffering. We need to pray for those who find themselves in the position where they have Unreasonable bosses. First Peter two, turn there. First Peter two, eighteen. They need to persevere in the circumstances. Where they've got a job. Where each and every day they dread going to work. Where they got coworkers who are who are constantly harassing them, or they have supervisors who are never satisfied and, and looking for opportunities, it seems, to, to do them wrong. First Peter two eighteen. Servants, he says, and I think we can contemporize this. Employees, be submissive to your masters with all respect. Not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor if, for the sake of conscience towards God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. 
For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. Maybe you know somebody who's in a situation that just seems intolerable. The thought of going to work on Monday morning, Sunday night, they begin to dread it. And pray for them. Pray for them that they would persevere, that they would hold up, that God would accomplish in them the things that he is working and doing, that he would teach them that they would want to learn the lessons that he has for them. Listen, nothing in my life or your life is random if you're a child of God. There is nothing that comes upon us that does not come directly through the good hand of God. It is designed by him for his glory and our good. God is so big. God is so powerful. Listen, he subjugates evil to bring about good in the lives of his children. And the greatest and most vivid demonstration of that is, the, is him taking the greatest evil the universe has ever known and ever will know, which is the death of his own innocent son, and through it, accomplishing the redemption of his people and the reconciliation of his creation. But that kind of power is accessed through prayer. Seven, compassion for the lost. It is a prayer priority that we would grow in compassion for the lost. Here are the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 10 and verse 1. Brethren, he says, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. Who's the them? The them is those of chapter 9. It is the Jewish people. It is the people whom Paul has just explained in Romans chapter 9. That the reason they have not humbled their heart and received Christ, their Messiah, is because God in his mysterious sovereign will has not predestined them to do so. It is the people whom who Paul explains here in the second half of Romans chapter 9 that, that they have turned from God because of their stubborn refusal to receive him. It is the people who have persecuted Paul and the churches that he has planted. It is these people that Paul says, it is my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them for their salvation. Paul had compassion on his people. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36, doesn't Jesus say it, but Matthew says it, of Jesus, seeing the people, he, that is Jesus, felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion on the nation that he knew would reject him and ultimately call for his crucifixion. It's hard to have compassion on people. It's hard. 
It's particularly hard to have compassion on people who are living in the backwash of their own sinful decisions. It's easy to think they're getting what they deserve. That the judgment should come on them. But beloved, in that spirit and attitude, we forget who they really are. Men and women, boys and girls, made in the image of God. Bearers of the divine stamp. There was a time when, uh, when I used to see people that were dressed in uh, gothic kind of clothing and bearing tattoos and, and body piercings. And I used to honestly be very uh, put off by it. And then one day, I recognized something. I recognized that this person was somebody's daughter, somebody's son, somebody's brother, somebody's sister, somebody's mother, somebody's child. Made in the image of God. And that beneath all of the external things that that were off-putting was a human soul desperately needing Christ. And no more undeserving of Christ than I myself. And God helped me to begin to see and pray for them. Beloved, we need to recognize people for who they really are. We need to be able to see through things. And listen, as it gets more hostile... It's going to be harder to do. It's going to require the the power of prayer to enable us to do just that. To recognize people for who they are. Listen, made in the image of God. God is creator. It is God who spoke this universe into existence. He is the creator and sustainer of all that is. And he established this creation with certain inviolable laws. In the physical realm, there are laws like gravity. And in the moral realm, there are these laws that reflect his character. And one is no freer to violate the moral law of the creator than they are free to violate the physical law of the creator without devastating consequences. And yet we have all done just that. Each and every man, woman, and child has chosen to go their own way and deserving of the righteous wrath of God eternally. And yet God in His mercy and grace did not leave humanity to be destroyed, but sent forth His own Son, born of a woman, born under the law, living among the people, And living in perfect righteousness, loving the Lord his God with all his heart, 
soul, mind, and strength, doing that which we can never do. And then willingly offering himself, the innocent Lamb of God, as a substitute and a sacrifice to fulfill the righteous justice of God by dying on Calvary's cross. We know God accepted his son's sacrificial atonement because on the third day God raised him from the dead. And beloved, death is the final arbitrator. It is the final penalty of sin. And Christ had no sin in himself, and he conquered sin, and he conquered death. And he rose from the dead on the third day, and he offers that life to all who would receive him by faith. That is the gospel. That is the message of the gospel. That is the compassion that we are to have for those who know not Christ. Eight. We need to pray for greater gospel boldness. Pray for greater gospel boldness. Peter and John arrested and flogged for the proclamation of life in Christ, that he is the Messiah, he is the resurrected one, he is the one who has conquered sin and death. They, they were punished for it and told to preach no more in his name. And when they returned to the, to the people, were recorded for us in Acts chapter 4 and verse 29, that the people gathered and they prayed. And they prayed, and now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bond service may speak your word with all confidence. They prayed that God would give them boldness in the face of opposition to declare the glories of Christ. Beloved, listen, none of us is naturally bold with the gospel. None of us. None of us. There are people who seem to enjoy the adrenaline rush that comes from the conflict. And there are those who, who want to demonstrate how, how articulate they are and how good they are at debate and argument and marshalling proofs and evidences. That kind of boldness is a fleshly boldness. It's actually anti-gospel. Gospel boldness comes only by the Spirit of God. And it is activated by prayer. It is activated by prayer. The Apostle Paul himself went in prison. Can you think of a more bold proclaimer of the gospel than Paul, huh? Paul himself in prayer, or excuse me, in prison, pray, or asked for prayer that he would be bold with the gospel. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18, where Paul says, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints, and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul says, pray for me that I would be bold with the gospel. 
Beloved, we need to pray for ourselves that we would be bold with the gospel. It needs to, it needs to be that which, which begins our day. It needs to be a, a prayer, kind of like Nehemiah when he's in the presence of the king, right? And, and, uh, and the king says, Nehemiah, why is your face so sad? And so Nehemiah says, I prayed to God and I spoke to the king. And it happened that fast. <laughs> and we need to be the same way. We need to pray to God and then speak to the king. We need to be bold with the gospel. We need to pray for each other that we would be bold with the gospel. Nine, we need to pray for the power of the preaching. We need to pray for the power of the preaching. Romans chapter 10. Beginning in verse 14. Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they're sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of glad things. Verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. There is power in the preaching of the gospel. As the Spirit of God who inspired the word of God quickens the hearts of people to hear the gospel and to transform them. Listen, Paul says at the beginning of this letter in verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to Jew first and also the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, that is, faith from first to last, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. It is the preaching of the gospel that transforms people. We need to pray for the power of the preaching. We need to pray that the preaching would, would find its itself its fertile soil in our family and friends. The holidays will soon be upon us, will they not? Those seem to be those opportunities. When we will be with family members, perhaps, who have shown themselves historically resistant to the gospel. But the gospel is the power of God. Let us pray that the power of God would show itself among them. In our own personal witnessing opportunities, among the church planting efforts of those who have been sent out from this church and those whom we support in their efforts to, to proclaim the gospel and, and gather together believers and disciple them and plant churches. Pray for the power of the preaching. Beloved, you can pray for who stands in this pulpit week in, week out. You can pray that the, that the message that comes across the front of this pulpit week in and week out would strike receptive hearts. That people would hear the word of God. And believe the word of God. And act upon what they believe. The spirit would save. Sanctify his people. Ten. 
Prayer priority is to pray for the wisdom for our leaders. To pray for wisdom for our leaders. Both inside the church and outside the church. To pray for wisdom. You may have not thought about this before. But those in leadership here at Foothill are regular people. Regular people. Actually, they're wretched sinners is what they are. Saved by grace. But what that means is, is that they are subject to all the same Weaknesses and and foibles and temptations that you are. They have the same issues in their home with their children or with their spouse or their neighbors or as everyone else. And they must must walk in in faith and, and they must apply the gospel in their lives and they, and they must confess their sin and they must seek forgiveness and be reconciled in, in bro- broken and troubled relationships. And, and all of that is just like the basics. Just the basics. What it means to, to live a Christian life, right? And then, and then according to Paul in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight and 29, there is the weight of the church. There is the weight of the church. There is all of your problems. All of your difficulties. All of the counsel and prayer that you need. And they're just people. And godly people can and do give bad counsel. They need wisdom. They need wisdom. 1 Peter 5. Peter says, Therefore exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed to shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily. And this is the key phrase, according to the will of God. According to the will of God. Pray for the church leaders that they would exercise oversight according to the will of God. And when they fall short of that, that the Spirit of God would show that to them. Either either through the Word or, or through His people who speak the Word. And that their hearts would be humbled. That they would repent and seek forgiveness from all whom have they have wronged. Pray for wisdom. 1 Timothy 2, 1-4, I'm not going to turn you there, but Paul there exhorts the, the believers to pray for those in authority over them, the governmental leaders, to pray for their redemption, to pray for wisdom in their leadership, that we might lead a quiet and tranquil, tranquil life, 
We need to pray for those governmental leaders. But it's way easier to complain than it is to pray, isn't it? Far easier to focus on their shortcomings than it is to pray for the Spirit's work. Eleven. We need to pray for protection from persecution. Protection from persecution. Romans chapter 15 Verse 30, 31, Paul says here to the church at Rome, Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints. Pray for protection from persecution. Listen, there is a group of people that are part of this body that God has really placed on my heart. And it is those of you that are involved in public education. I believe that you are the front line of the battle. That the weight and pressure and hostility of a world that is dead set against Christ is going to crash upon your doorsteps and is already. I pray for you. And I, and I urge us to pray for our brothers and sisters that God would strengthen them, that they would stand firm in the faith, that they would make good decisions, hard decisions, perhaps decisions in which their, their, their livelihood is on the line. We need to support one another in these things. We are not to hate those who persecute us. Jesus says in Matthew 43 and 45, 40, excuse me, Matthew 5, 43 to 45, we're to pray for those who persecute us. And in doing so, we demonstrate the, the character of our own Father who sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, it is against the spiritual realm the principalities and powers and service of the prince of the kingdom of darkness that, that rage against Christ and his church. Twelve. And finally, we are to pray for peace in the world. We are to pray for peace in the world. Beloved, we are living in a time of increasing tribalism. Increasing tribalism. People are pulling together in narrow little groups, tribal groups, in which all those who are outside of their tribe are viewed with suspicion and hostility. Our country is being racked by it. Our world is being racked by it. And it, is, it suits the purposes of the evil one to continue to foment this kind of anger and hostility. So that people are suspicious of one another. So that people will not express and demonstrate compassion and love for one another. Would, would not preach the gospel for one another, for they hate one another. We as the children of God must resist such things and we must pray the spirit of peace 
would break through this tribalism. And we need to pray for the return of Christ. For that is the only and final solution. Psalm 122 and verse 6, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem, the psalmist says. Listen, Jerusalem will never know peace until the king of peace is sitting on the throne in Jerusalem. But we must pray, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. It is our only hope. It is our only hope. The Apostle John ends the Scriptures, the Bible, the book of Revelation that ends the Scriptures and the Bible. It is the final word from God. And he ends it in a prayer, verse 20 of Revelation chapter 22. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. John's prayer, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. It needs to be our priority in prayer for the return of Christ. Hear the benediction as we close. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen.